Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, a roundtable discussion that's a mix of friendship, humor, unbridled enthusiasm, and tabletop RPG topics sent in from around the world. Just for Hello! Hello! And welcome to Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, Season 33, Episode 3. My name is Kimmy. I'm Kurt. I'm Kadeem. And I'm Mo. And in today's episode, the hosts are going to recap the best games they played this year. Not the best, but like new to them. Like great new games that they've played this year. Ken from Canada asks how to handle in-game misogyny with women at the table. And Kurt, not Potts, wants advice on turning off GM brain when you are a player. If you'd like to contribute a question or topic to the show, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. And announcements. Our next game days is going to be Saturday, January, January 13th. I think there are already like six games posted, and I think like almost all of them are full already. Uh-oh. It's going to be a banger. Game. It's going to be awesome. So if you want to join on that, you can go to uh, happyjacks.org slash discord. And if you want to see it, if you go to the website, happyjacks.org slash community games, you can actually see there's like a, a list of them on a, from the Google calendar of all the games that are scheduled so far. Please keep in mind that the, the times posted there are Pacific time. So please be aware. Unfortunately, Google doesn't do a cool thing where it like translate it, translates it to your local. Yeah, unfortunately. So keep in mind, but there's a whole bunch of games and I'm sure there'll be a lot more because we still have like a month. So it's very exciting. Also, heads up, the next two episodes will be back recording on Fridays because the Sundays ended up on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. And it was Sunday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we aren't going to be recording on, on Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve. So we are recording on Fridays instead. Happyjacks.org slash schedule if you want to check it out. Yeah, so slight, slight schedule change for the next two weeks. I'm also <coughs> off of school, so it's not quite so stressful because like, between the getting home from work with the child and like in less than two hours, getting her all ready for bed and everything ready and then getting ready to do the podcast, Fridays used to be stressful, but it should be fine. Okay, cool. So our indie designer of the month for December is this cool cat mm. named Kurt Potts. Mm. Who's Who, here me? With us. You, it's you. And you can find his work at Kurt Potts. That's K-U-R-T-P-O-T-T-S dot itch dot I-O at Kurt Potts, spelled the same way, on Twitter and other places. And the game we're talking about this week is actually an adventure. It's not like a system into itself. And it's called One Last Good Day. And it's a cinematic adventure about a group of college students who are visited by the ghost of an old friend in need of help. They have to show him one last good day before the sun rises or he'll be stuck as a ghost forever. To help this (laughs) ghost pass on, the characters will need to help him understand and overcome things he regrets from his life. This takes the characters on a Ferris Bueller's Day Off style romp through the ghost's fears, missed opportunities, and possibly their biggest regret of all, not saying goodbye. It's a 16-page, fully illustrated modern fantasy adventure about a ghost who needs help with full cover and NPC character art by the fantastic Minerva Fox, friend of the pod, 
And the adventure is written to be played with the lighthearted RPG, but can be played with most modern fantasy games with few or no changes. And all proceeds from it goes from One Last Day will be donated to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's right now, it's $5 at kurtpotts.itch.io. So this is really neat, Kurt, because it's actually an adventure. And it's actually, not that I steal from you, but I kind of steal from you. When I have to write adventures <laughs> for things, I actually look at One Last Good Day as like the pattern of how I lay out adventures now. Because it's... Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, it's amazing. Like it's so well laid out and thought out the way you have like each beat of the story and then the possible solutions for it is just just so like concise, but well done and thoughtful. So literally it's like, okay, someone asked me to write this adventure for this Kickstarter of theirs and something else. And I don't steal the content, but I was like, okay, let's see, bring up one last good day. <laughs> how did Kurt lay it out? Okay, this is how I'll write it out. And usually uh, like they sometimes change it, but it's like my go-to format now for all adventures because it's so well done. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, the structure of, of the adventure is probably the thing I'm most proud of about it. It had sort of a tragic origin. It's a very personal story for me. I lost my son a couple of years ago, and this was sort of some people journal and I write RPGs. So I sat down and wrote this adventure as a way to sort of process that loss. But the structure that came out of that actually ended up being really good for a, if you want a linear story, because there's no instances of this happened and then this happened and then this happened. Everything is this happened because that happened and but this happened. It sort of pushes you to learn more about this character and what they don't understand and, and help them process the loss of their regrets and things that they wish they could have done uh, if they had had another go at it. Yeah, it's such a unique adventure too because it's there's moments that are just like so poignant and then hard and sad but also there's really fun moments too and it's really possible to go either way with with all of it so like even though it's got kind of like a somber like source material and topic like Mm -hmm. you could have a wild fun romp like you said ferris bueller's day out through it that's really really fun like the cover art is actually like a big parade with like a performance with a keytar, which makes it great. <laughs> um, with awesome artwork from Minerva, by the way, great, of that. Yeah. Like she nailed that. A hundred percent. So you can just see like these fun, wild antics. It's like, okay, if you could do one more thing, what would you do? I would play keytar in a parade going down Main Street. You know, it's like you can just come with these amazing off the wall like ideas. But like you can also go another direction if you are in the if your playgroup is in the mood for something more serious. Like you can mm-hmm. play more of that too, or you could bounce back and forth really easily between those two things. And yeah, Minerva's um, art all, is beautiful all the way through. The character art she did for the NPCs is really like evocative. Like you can see it. Like oh yeah, no, that's definitely who that is. I love the the bully mm-hmm. character. The picture of the bully. Is like you can see, like, oh yeah, that's someone who totally used to be a bully and now might might be have outgrown it, or maybe not. Like it's like hmm. mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's got some really, really cute art in it. And I agree, you could go either way. You could go kind of fanciful fun, or you could take it a little more in the emotional route. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does have alternate endings in the adventure, depending on how deep you want to get to make sure that. You're not subjecting yourself to 
brief on a full auto. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was really thoughtfully done too. It's like, hey, this is like one option that can happen or it can be this or so like you can, and it has those little like warnings in there. So you can kind of like, if you're the GM running it, you kind of like ramp it like based on mm-hmm. what your players have communicated to you they want from the game. Yeah. And in addition to the $5 purchase price, there's also several community copies. I think that's like 70 community copies available for free. Oh, wow. So if somebody wants to check it out and doesn't have the five bucks or doesn't prefer the, the charity that we picked for the adventure, grab a community copy. Yeah. And I think you also say in the text on itch that if they want to donate to another cause or something, they can just send mm-hmm. you the receipt that your email is oh, right yeah. there and you're happy to send mm-hmm. them a copy. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. No, I think that's amazing. And I think it's a great thing to feature is coming up on the holidays and like the spirit of giving and the time when we're supposed to be thinking of like others and joy and helping spread the wealth and such things. For sure. So, ooh, yeah, I think it it is really important to you to, to point out how well it can be used with any game system too. I think that's the cool, yeah. one of the coolest things about it is like you clearly mm-hmm. wrote it to be, to go with lighthearted, which we talked about two weeks ago. <laughs> But you could very easily take it and and run it in in, in almost anything just because the way you formatted it and the, the information that's there. So I can mm-hmm. see it really easily working with almost anything. Yeah. Any any game system that or any as long as it's closer to modern, you'd have to do more conversion if you want to go away from modern setting because it does like one of the th- uh, scenes is at a used car lot. You're probably not going to have a lot of those in your D&D game. But yeah, it's it's fairly system agnostic. There are like guides in there on here's how to deal with this in the mechanics of Lighthearted. But you could easily sub in any generic game for it. Yeah. Yeah. I got a question. As our indie designer of the month, what's your design aesthetic? What makes a game a Kurt Potts game? Ooh, okay. So... I've released a few games. You didn't get the question I was going to ask you, did you? (laughs) (laughs) I did not have time to prep for these questions. So I would say that it's sort of changed over the years, but I think it's going to be a lighthearted, I mean, it's a cheesy way to say it, but I think it's going to be something with a lighthearted feeling to it. It's going to be something that is, I don't know, that sort of, has hope or redemption at the center of it. Mm. Those are prominent themes in the games that I, I write. I did Sigils in the Dark as a, an exploration of, this was in a troubling time for me in world news when I was writing that game. And I was exploring why people continue to double down when the things that they've bought into turn out to be bad for them. Mm. And so that's why I wrote Sigils in the Dark. Also, I just thought it'd be cool to have a game where you draw sigils. Like, uh, there weren't a lot of games about drawing, uh, journaling games about drawing. So yeah, a lot of them start from a question of how can I solve, how can I explore this idea and then follow through from there. But things like Lighthearted, Sigils in the Dark, and But One Last Good Day are all sort of explorations of hope and redemption and those sort of things. Nice. Listen, don't forget about bird secrets. I love bird secrets. <laughs> we haven't talked okay. about that one yet. 
<laughs> so Bird Secrets was the first game that I ever wrote. <laughs> it was because I, so I, I work in publishing and one of the things I, I interact with magazine publishers a lot. And I got a magazine cover on my desk <laughs> that just said, amazing bird secrets. <laughs> It was like a birder magazine or something, but I was so blown away by the confidence of that title. The amazing bird. Really? Are they amazing bird secrets? And so I started a hashtag of bird secrets on Twitter when that was still a thing you did. And, and I would post random bird facts with hashtag bird secrets. And so when it came time to, Oh, I'm going to write a, write a game. I I just piggybacked on that. So people already were watching the hashtag. That's funny. See, I just assumed it was like the best marketing campaign for an indie game ever that you just had like this really long ramp up and this amazing master plan that (laughs) it's like, oh, no, no, no. My GMing style and my marketing style are very similar in that I just throw things out there. And then if anything (laughs) sticks, I backfill. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It meant this the whole time. I meant to to do that. I meant to do that. (laughs) So when you're designing a, not, not like an adventure, but like a system, like for mm-hmm. Lighthearted specifically, did you have like the ideas of like the story and the setting or did you have the ideas of the mechanics first? So Lighthearted was a, it was a world mm-hmm. first and it was yeah. thanks to Forrest in the Happy Jacks Discord Yay. posted their rules for world building. And it was a series of questions. And so I was bored in in chat and I took it and started filling it out. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do a weird modern fantasy thing. And it's it's going to be about like feeling magic and neon lights and all this. And so I started filling out the this setting, which was originally called Nuclear Night School, mm-hmm. but spelled K-N-I-G-H-T. It actually turned out to be really entertaining and fun to play in, to take a John Hughes movie and then strap Dresden files onto it. I don't know. That was a good, I don't know. It was a good feeling at the table, but I originally started working with Savage Worlds. I was going to make a Savage Worlds setting book. Mm -hmm. And every time I did a new draft, I was cutting more and more of Savage Worlds out of the game (laughs) and adding in more and more scaffolding for like the emotions and the magic system to do like a fun, soft magic system. When Kate, uh, my wife started working on it with me, she's, She's a marriage and family therapist. Mm-hmm. So she was instrumental in making that emotion spectrum feel right in play and, yeah. and have it connect with the way you might express through a character, those mm-hmm. emotions. And so, yeah, so it, it started from a world. That was where Lighthearted began. Other games have been different. Other games, I, I was like, I want to write a game that just uses 2D6 and has a map. that's that's what tricksters was yeah yeah we talked about tricksters last week that one's super fun i love that game yeah for i was gonna ask a question i forgot what it was darn it (laughs) i I just want to say uh as a fellow game designer i saw lighthearted go through so many kind of iterations and tweaks and it was really it encouraged me not to settle with the mm. game I was designing when things weren't necessarily where I want them to be. It's like, mm-hmm. I'd see Kurt come out and he'd be running it again. And I was like, maybe I just needed to run it some more <laughs> and find the game. And, I, and so yeah. hats off to you, man. Like you're definitely, you were one of my North stars in that process. 
Oh, I really appreciate that. Yeah. One, one of my biggest bits of game design advice is make sure you actually like running the game because you're going to do it about a thousand times. Yeah. Yeah. Through playtesting and cons and all of that, you're going to run that game so many times. You've got to make sure you like it. Don't try to do what the mar- what you think people want. Mm-hmm. Make the thing you want to play. Yeah, because no matter how much you like it, if you run it enough, you will stop liking it. And if you start off <laughs> not liking it, you're going to hate it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I Yeah, and it's been, it was super fun to watch, like, like you were saying, Mo, because so much of Lighthearted's development happened like in the Happy Jacks community. Yep. So it was one of those things that, and it was one of the first ones, I think, of all of us that like, I think it might still be the kind of the only one that's like unique system. Like a lot of us have done like mm. PBTA hacks and stuff like that, that we've gone on and kickstarted and things like that. But like that takes so much bravery and it turned out so well. And it's such a unique system. And it's really cool to like be somewhere and hear someone, oh, have you heard of this game, Lighthearted? Yes, I have. I have heard of that game. I, in fact, know the person who wrote it. <laughs> and I got to see like the first, like, like run of it almost. It was very good. Like, so I, I, I nerd out about it. I'm very, we're very proud of you, Kurt. Yes. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, if you go back in the archives of Happy Jacks, <laughs> that first Rainbow Railroad stream, yeah. I ran an early version where it was still Savage Worlds with a six-page <laughs> character sheet and poor Bernadette. <laughs> oh, yeah. She did so good, though. It was she like, did. Yeah. She was like, she was like her first time here. And she was just like, okay. I've played some D&D before, I think. And oh, okay. She did great. This is a lot. She looks at me and she goes, I'm a lot, but this is a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I can't, I still say it today. It's the best. It's such a Bernadette (laughs) thing. Oh my gosh. So funny. Yeah, 100%. She's a lot, but it was a lot. And it was great. (laughs) All of it together was fantastic. Yeah, it's always fascinating. It's just like watching... A little baby game grow up or change mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. all the iterations of it. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the, the most interesting things. I was actually talking with Ray about this, who's been on the podcast before yesterday. And like all of us are designing in this ecosystem where like actual plays and streaming and like all of us are kind of entwined in this world. Mm-hmm. And he and I were like talking about, okay, so how much do we think like it's like a chicken and the egg discussion? Like, how much do we think we were inspired and are designed by like creating content and making it interesting for people to play? And how much is it like about creating content and making content that people are going to watch? Right. And does that change our design choices based on what well, we know people are going to be watching it? And it's, I don't know, mm-hmm. it's this weird, just weird circular discussion that you can't really know the answer to, but it's just, Kind of interesting. Honestly, like watching you guys putting together games and putting them out has made me not. Because <laughs> it's like work and you guys are all so like, work. like putting heart and soul into this shit and hours of work mm-hmm. and effort and all this. And I'm like, this is my hobby. I come here to relax. I don't want to. Oh, my God. No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> when I found out how much money it paid, I realized it was my hobby, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But like, yeah. you know, I've got my going on a decade now of writing old people tales from the loop hack. I'm so excited for that. And like it's together. I just have to write the book around it and it would be okay to start getting art and doing all that stuff. And I every time I sit down to do it, I'm just like, nah, fuck it. 
<laughs> you know, just, just going to put it away and play it at cons and it'll be fun. Yeah. And, it's and, and, that, and that is fine too. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Because I know Kurt has games on his shelf that are not made. I know Kimmy has games on her shelf that are not made. They're my computer, but yeah. <laughs> but I, like, yeah, you are so in the club. <laughs> That's the hardest thing. It's so yeah. easy because like my ADHD, I'm like addicted to to like making progress and like, oh, okay, that hit of like making a bunch of progress. It's so easy to make that progress at the beginning of the design process. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So it's like, oh, I have a new idea. Mm-hmm. Let's let's do this. And oh, I can st- and I'll get like the first basic mechanics done. I'll do like a little character sheet thingy in Canva. And then I'll be like, I really should fucking not be working on this right now. I need to be working on Starscape or Mains and Magic or any of the other games I've already told people about and have mm-hmm. like some parts of it done already. It's like, oh, it's so hard. And so I just have this like, oh, yeah. all these little like, in my Google Drive, like all these new folders mm-hmm. for all these games <laughs> with like two things in them. Ugh, it's frustrating. You know what's even harder than getting to the end of that iterative process and getting to the point where it's like, okay, I can't just throw things out. I got to get this book done. Mm-hmm. Is having released the book, wanting to write supplements and being like, man, if I could just change this rule. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. If I get to that point, yeah, if I get to that point, I'll be very excited because that means I will have finished a thing. Oh, well. (laughs) But yeah, no, I I can see that would be, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I would have, I would struggle with that. Be like, like whatever I would call my system version (laughs) 2.1, 2.2 and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, start naming like, them. Start naming them like obscure Japanese fighting games, <laughs> like Starscape Super Alpha Turbo, right? right? <laughs> Starscape Maximus. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, wait, wait. There's yeah, no yeah. fighting. I mean, just get angry at each other Deck and then make up Ruby. again. Yeah. <laughs> like, <just laughs> random work. Oh my gosh, it's such it's. It's such a weird creative process, though. But and you have to finish that, Dave. I really want to see. It. I, maybe someday. Someday it might get to a point where, like, I'm willing to put it out digitally. Yeah. But I don't know if I've got the gumption or the the motivation or desire to do the whole like okay. make it a real product. Okay. Well, I have to play it at oh, least yeah. one time. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, this is a great segue into our first first thing. This show. I think we might transition into having like topics again we kind of did that for a while like back sure. in the stew era and then he got bored of, and he couldn't like think of them ahead of time so we went to all emails again but i think we might like start dipping our toes back in like topics so for this week and next week because we're having different hosts next week i wanted us to talk about like new to us games that we just loved this year so calendar year which is hard for me because i always think in academic year i'm like it's the middle of the year no it's not it's the end of the year so something that was new to you that you played that you just like loved and you don't have to be super like strict about the calendar year you you played any sessions of it since like january there you go i played a game just Mm -hmm. last week oh okay that i wasn't expecting and it's called follow and it's by the the person who did microscope i googled it Mm. um, because you told me i might have to talk about it and his name is Ben Robbins. And this seemed like a really cool, maybe 40, 50 page book 
zero prep RPG. Mm-hmm. It gave you an opportunity to kind of sit around the table and say, you guys want to play one of these three kind of games? And your players pick. I think we picked a, we had to go and uh, we were a posse mm-hmm. going to hunt somebody down. Mm-hmm. And I was playing with tomes. So of course, <laughs> we were known ordinary posse. <laughs> Follow. Oh, sorry. And so, yeah, we were on this planet that had bugs that took you down the tin in a Thundar the Barbarian style world. For anybody under the age of 40, that means post apocalyptic, but magic. <laughs> and so, Star Wars is long, long ago, far, far away. And Thundar the Barbarian was right after the bombs drop. <laughs> Right up the street. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, there were mutants and it was weird and cool and super liked. Your character was a name and a couple tags and they gave an option of 10 different plot points for your story. And if you had four players at the table, you choose four of them. Yes. And you'd figure out which one is last and you just kind of each person would just kind of frame a scene and play. And it was surprisingly wonderful. I've been working on a kind of zero prep RPG myself. And I was just like, maybe I was working too hard at this. <laughs> because this, this has a certain level of elegance. Mm-hmm. And it's a very short book, laid out, lots of white space. And I was just like, this is really cool. Follow. <laughs> Like, and there seems to be like this surge of interest in those no prep games Mm -hmm. or low prep games. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I don't know. I don't know if that's because people are getting better at designing them or if we're all just exhausted and don't have time to prep in lives anymore. (laughs) Like, yeah. And so I think ultimately this is, if you're designing something like this, the question is, are you going to teach somebody how to role play? Mm -hmm. Are you going to like give somebody enough to kind of have the the feeling of a theme to their magical tea time. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's it's an abstract idea. We don't have to talk about it on this podcast. <laughs> but this is very much for people who, who play RPGs. Yeah. You've watched some movies mm-hmm. and you know how the thing is supposed to work. Maybe somebody didn't show up for the game this week. I got a thing. Let's play it. I think that's that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I think part of the popularity of the like zero prep GMless games or things like that comes out that like it starts to cross over into like the I just play games with my friends sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily like hardcore RPG players, mm-hmm. but like maybe we play board games mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. maybe we just are it's a Saturday and I'm drinking beers with my friends in the backyard and we're just gonna do something. Here's a little directed something we can do and I didn't have to spend all week figuring out what's going to happen. And we didn't all start this process eight months ago. And now, and like, if you only play it the one time, you can still sit down and have a good time. Mm -hmm. Right. And you didn't buy the $80 worth of books. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're not in, you know, the the $300,000 worth of metal figures and paints and all the other things that can come down that path. But Mm -hmm. like, I think there is a, a tie there where it starts to bleed over into the greater games market. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
a kind of a marriage between RPGs and like party game slash yeah, board games. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. It's like mm-hmm. everybody likes playing Cards Against Humanity, but when you played it a few times, you're kind of like, okay, I'm not shocked anymore. I'd like to try yeah. something different. Yeah. Like, this was mm-hmm. great. Awesome. Now let's try something different. And when you start shopping for different things, you find different things, you know? Yeah. Walk down the weird digital aisle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've been thinking about this too because I've been thinking about like making like adaptations of some of my games and like incorporating kind of that element too. Like, can I make this like a one shot standalone thing or a game where you just pick it up and play it right away without having to do a bunch of prep? Because yeah, I think that's a new thing that's being kind of developed. I think like for the queen mm-hmm. and stuff like that was kind of like the kind of the precursor because literally you can just pick that up and play it wherever. Right. And there were a mm-hmm. few games before that that did that too, but there's just such a big market for that. Like how many times have we been somewhere and we're drinking and hanging out, but we also, and then we start all playing for the queen or something like that. And like fiasco was kind of like this and things like that. We're just like, it's just so easy and you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. And if you didn't have anything planned, cool. And if we don't finish, it's not that big of a deal. I don't know. There's just a, some freedom in it. And there's a, so much appeal in that. I don't know. Yeah. I think a lot of the really simplistic indie games sort of they're coming from a place of assuming this is not your first RPG and relying on the fact that we all kind of learn how to play pretend when we're little. And so a lot of it is just guided pretend. But mm-hmm. one of the things that's really hard when writing those kinds of games is there are things that come easy to us and then there are things that are, like will stump us in any sort of situation when you're doing collaborative storytelling. And the game needs to get out of the way when it's easy and hold your hand when it's not. Right. And a lot of game like light rules, light kind of games will get out of the way when it's hard and hold your hand when it's easy. Yeah. Uh, and so there's, it's really difficult to write. It's like the thing about, I, sorry, I wrote you such a long letter. I didn't have time to write a short one. <laughs> there's, there's something about hitting that perfect tiny game. That's really difficult. Yeah, no, absolutely. You say that it felt like it did it really well. Yeah. That's great. I think I absolutely agree with you, Kurt. I think another thing that draws a lot of people to these things is that how many RPG books do you have and how many have you read? <laughs> yeah. You know, and a, a game that says you don't have to read me is a heck of a carrot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so yeah. hard, though, because it's like, yeah, it's such a weird balance of like giving enough information <laughs> and not like letting. Yeah, like I had to do for Decima, it's like it's 16 tiny card pages. Mm-hmm. And I just like rewrote that mm-hmm. and rewrote it and rewrote it. And that was just for a simple game where you just like put the cards down and flip them over based on the color on the back. Simple, and even that was so hard. Simple, to, she said. I mean, <laughs> you'd think it would be very simple. Like it's mm-hmm. not a role playing game. You don't have to worry about dice or different things. Like it's just like, pass out this many of each card, flip them over and read them out loud and come up with a thing. But even that was so hard to get in such a small... So having a concise... This is like brings you into the game immediately yeah. with like a couple different things, one for each player, you said. Yeah. That's such a... I love the, the elegance of it, like you said, elegance that makes it easy. Everybody gets a thing and then we get going. Right. Other, other games? Oh, okay, all right. New to me games that I played this year. I had to think about it a lot. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't get like the full con experience. My schedule was just bad for spending whole weekends at the couple of cons I usually attend where I specifically go to seek out strange new worlds, as they say. But I did get to play Slug Blaster, uh-huh. which was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I liked a lot of it. You're basically a bunch of skate punk teens in a weird future of dimensional travel. Yeah, it's like uh, the, the Mountain Dew commercial. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is definitely like, <laughs> like what all of us in the 90s dreamt the like, <laughs> X Games were about. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. kind of that vibe. <laughs> Like, it's it's kind of just out there and weird and wild, and I kind of dig the multidimensionality of it and just weird stuff that the game encourages you to be able to just be cool, man. Yeah. Like, do cool shit. That was a lot of fun. What are the mechanics for that one? Uh, Forged in the Darkish. Oh, Forged in the Darkish. Yeah. Okay. And, like, the one time I played it, like, a quarter of our game session turned into, like, in the dark, like, hardcore nerds. No. Oh. Like nerding out over like half the table really likes the downtime mechanics, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the other half hates the downtime mm-hmm. mechanics. <laughs> okay. And I was like, "This is a complicated issue, and I'm not qualified to speak on it. I'm gonna sit here and listen for a while." But like, I know me, I like the downtime stuff because I feel like if you, a movie, like I tend to think about RPGs as a film, yeah. right? Like whenever you sit down to play one, that's the movie you're gonna watch for that three hours, four hours. Mm-hmm. And there are very few movies that are pedal to the metal, full yeah. throttle, the whole two hours you're watching. Yeah, no. Hardcore mm-hmm. theory. And like, there's a couple <laughs> yeah. that do it and make it to the point where you're like, that was pretty cool. Yep. You know, like Mad Max Fury Road, right? Yeah. Like, that's a movie that just doesn't let up. It's just on in mm-hmm. your face the whole time you're watching it. And you're like, holy shit, at the end. No, because even those breaks in there. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I would venture to agree, but I'm not willing to fight over it. Okay. <laughs> but like, like, there's a couple out there that manage to transcend that moment, right? Mm-hmm. Like the weird Jason Statham yeah. prank movie. Wait, prank, yeah, I was, yeah. Where I was he's like, like I gotta keep my heart rate up, or I'm gonna die. Yeah, like, and it's just, just crazy ass wild action for two hours, and like, it makes it. Right, like it makes it into that. Like that was pretty awesome. I'd like to. I'd watch that again. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot that like try and do that and just don't get there. Yeah. The thing I like about RPGs is like you get to, and it took me a while to kind of wrap my brain around it. Right, like as a player or a GM historically, is the like if you don't give your players a second to breathe, mm-hmm. their characters don't become people. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. If it's just all right, you walk into this room and there's seven goblins and they try and murder you. And you walk in the next room and there's eight goblins and they try and murder you. <laughs> like, if that's all you're doing, then those characters are just tokens on a game board. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But if you do that a little bit and then they have to go back to a town and they mm-hmm. spend time in the town just talking with random people and you're not instantly putting the town in horrible danger, mm-hmm. like, suddenly those characters have a minute to go, Oh, okay. All right. What would I do here? Like, what would I, I don't have anything I have to be doing right now. What would I do in my downtime? Like, just a couple of seconds of letting players figure that out, like, unlocks a lot. So, I'm very pro mm-hmm. downtime in order to give you a whole story. Mm-hmm. But apparently, 
the in the dark fandom is very strongly divided uh, <laughs> about it because I think there's some people that want Slug Blaster to be just crazy, yeah. super cool, full throttle action the whole time yeah. you're playing. Mm-hmm. That's not my jam, but but the game is designed to let you have those downtime moments, and it was cool the way we did it, and it was neat. Yeah. The other that two was by MythWorks, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, Wilkie, I think, is the author. Uh, I think it's Mikey Ham. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Mikey Ham. Yeah. Wilkie is the company in the game that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's interesting that one, and I think their other one, the Cyberpunk, which is actually plus P and K. Yeah, Cyber plus Punk or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are both like Forge in the Dark, but they like they kind of streamline it. They picked and choose. They pulled out a bunch of the mechanics. Yeah, and that's. Cyberpunk, whatever it is, is also kind of an example of like the the party game because it's like, Card yeah, system, well, yeah. it's not cards. It's all like reusable. It's made. It's like in a box. All the 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 character sheets are in there, reusable, yeah. and you just like re and, yeah, you use dry erase and the like adventures all there. You literally can like pull it out and like run it right there without without any prep really. So pretty interesting, but yeah, uh, I'm not familiar enough with Forge in the Dark to like like grok the differences like right just reading them I need to like sit down and do like a comparison at some point but. yeah yeah mm-hmm. I, and when this all happened at the table I was like I, mm. <laughs> I played a little like you know, it just yeah. seems cool to me I guess yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I certainly don't feel strongly about it what was your character for that game I played essentially like IRL streamer kid <laughs> That mm-hmm. ended up with like a silver surfer skateboard nice. kind of thing and like super great camera equipment. So, like in our group, I was the one that was like speeding ahead to like throw camera drones up in the air when we knew we were going to do something cool <laughs> and try and get it on film so right. that we could post it online. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And then, like, we ended so, up with like a giant burning skull that came and attacked our town and it totally wasn't our fault. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a lot. <laughs> sure, it wasn't. Definitely not your fault. But. Definitely, definitely not your fault. I love how you like said that right off the bat, even though no one accused it. But yeah, no, no. Your fault. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't. <laughs> Clearly wasn't our fault. Of course. Yeah, She's laying sure. it out there so everybody knows. So uh, I, I, have, oh. I do have a question for you. Did the downtime mechanics, like, was there a moment that you wouldn't have gotten if you had blasted through those downtime mechanics? Yeah. yeah like, so uh, Ray, friend of the show Ray, was mm-hmm. running the game for okay. us. He gave us like a couple of moments of downtime where like our moms belong to like an anti-dimensional skateboarder right. league. <laughs> and we all were forced to attend this meeting to make up for the burning skull in the sky thing. Oh, that's so good. And so like it was this like we're all sitting there in the back like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> and it's just that time where like you're sitting around commiserating with your friends like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be here. Like. The famous example at the con years ago with the, like, we're all at the assembly when we played the 16 candles. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And I started with the, you suck! Like, <laughs> because, like, it's totally that vibe of, like, I'm at a school assembly, and this is horrible. <laughs> I don't want to be here, and I'll do anything to get out of it. Like, and that, like, again, starts to make those characters feel like people. Yeah. And that's yeah. what people remember. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think you actually might really dig a Slug Blaster, Kurt, because it has very 80s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle feels to it. Oh, and, oh yeah. 
There was a, so I, I, I own it. I haven't played it yet, but there was definitely a two cakes kind of feeling that I had to, I had to deal with. If you're an indie designer, you might know the two cakes reference. When you bake a cake and take it to your office work thing, and then somebody else brings a different, better cake, and then a third, and you're sitting there going, oh my God, look, my cake is so bad. Look how good this cake is. And somebody walks up and goes, two cakes. (laughs) Yeah, there is, there was some levels of two cakes I had to get over when I first saw Slug Blaster. And I was like, it's a a very different game. Yeah. I I feel Um, like, yeah. But I think, it it has some similar vibes, but yeah. I don't think he, anything that's eat based on like Forge in the Dark in any way is like going to have the same heart that Lighthearted is at all. <laughs> like I've made two yeah. Forge in the Dark games and I'm trying not to go down that digression because <laughs> you're not really trying to fight for it. No. I, Kimmy doesn't really care. <laughs> I'm all for downtime. I, I'm in team downtime at all times. I yes. wrote a game that is all almost downtime. Like the whole point of the game is the downtime. And sometimes you'll fight spacey stuff. And then the big part of doing that will be about how you don't like each other or you like each other and then how that mm-hmm. affects all your other downtime. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, team downtime. Woohoo. But. Uh, <laughs> and then the other two games. Brand new to me games. But we're not doing a we're full doing year one? recap. You're picking one. Oh, I thought it was a whole just tell. Oh, my bad. No, it's a post share their Kade, favorite Kade's new about to, to do his game. Story time with Kadeh. You're thing. like my dog. <laughs> my favorite is blue and pink. Okay, See, that's I not a favorite. I, I, I literally made the roster in my head of like <laughs> these are the new games I played this year. Yeah, okay. I don't have that many. Okay, okay. With, now it's like last year. Your favorite? I will allow one more if there's like another true favorite. I think my favorite game that I played this last year was the, the One Ring game. Oh. Because, mm. like, coming to the universe as the, I have read these casually and watched the films casually, and speaking of, today's the 20th anniversary of Return of the King. It is. Like, getting into it and then being pulled into, like, the world of it m- way more than I had ever bothered to educate myself before and, like, enjoying that process. Mm-hmm. Like, I had always, like, kind of glossed over like there's a lot more to this but i'm not diving into that like that's not enough but then getting into it and like following down the rabbit holes of like i probably watched 200 hours of video about like weird lore history stuff and really? all of that shit yeah because wow. i was just like i would go home and be like i didn't know what this meant i gotta figure it out <laughs> <laughs> um, like, that's so cool so like yeah yeah like it was it was a lot a lot of fun for me that way like mm-hmm getting into a new level of like I'd always enjoyed the books and films but yeah, like yeah. getting into that next level of like oh this is really cool I want to know more about this yeah that was fun that was definitely worth it oh awesome cool like like mechanics wise like I feel like is that a meh or no I I mean I absolutely adored the travel mechanic I did like, too just the it, journeyings are hard and scary and Things can happen, but good things can happen. Like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. really, really like that. That was one of my favorite mechanics of the year. Like, I had a backup that was going to be my. Oh, one. but that's okay. I have, a, I have a backup just in case. But that journey mechanic was just such a delight. And I hate journey mechanics, mm. and I hate table roll mechanics for the most part. I really don't like them. But that just every time was so interesting and so delightful. It changed my mind on on roll mechanics, and I actually stole it and adapted it and put it in Starscape because I liked it so much. 
But it, it was just like, it was so neat. Like sometimes we'd have these beautiful, whimsical moments. And then other times there'd be like an attack or something. And sometimes just something really awful and creepy and dark. And it just, you never knew. And it was so fun as a GM because I never knew either. And as someone who loves like improv GMing, it was a constant, like exciting thing. Okay, what's going to, okay, okay. Right. So, and then like asking, what do you think that is? And like coming up with these neat story mm. things together. And I don't know if that translate well, translates well to every table, but it was, it was magic. We had some sessions where it was pretty much just journeying and I had so much fun those sessions. No. I mean, it is kind of an unfair comparison because it was like a whole really cool campaign versus a one shot. True. Yeah, yeah. Like, so I think both games are great. I had fun playing both. It's just the Lord of the Rings was a step above because of the depth and yeah. stuff that we got. Well, we, we did sure. over 25 sessions of it. So right, yeah, yeah. you're going to get a little more in the weeds than in like a one shot at a Right. Yeah, exactly. With exactly. people you don't know. Yeah. So, well, thank you. That's, that, that makes you feel good. Thank you. Kurt? Kurt, you want to go or do you want me to go? Yes. Okay. I, I can go. So mine's actually going to be a Forge in the Dark game as well. Uh, <laughs> uh, it is not out, so it's not something you can go and get. I have yes. the uh, distinct pleasure of getting to play Spell and Blade Ooh, by nice. Strauss Asimovic. I Strauss, I hope if you hear this, I pronounced your last name correctly because I've never said it out loud before. <laughs> this is a high fantasy or I guess maybe medium fantasy game using the Forge in the Dark sort of structure. Mm -hmm. Strauss has released a bunch of different Forge in the Dark games, mm -hmm. uh, Band of Blades, the Star Wars, yeah, the not uh, Star Scum Wars, Villainy. not... Scum and Villainy. Yeah, Scum yeah, and Villainy. Yeah. yeah, all of those. So their mastery over the, the system is pretty spectacular. The standouts in this game, though, for me, were that they incorporated a life path system. Hmm. So you would begin your character with whoever your background was. Think traveler, right? Where you came from. Then you go into the careers that you want to be in. And you get certain actions or abilities from each of these careers. And they, every piece of this game had weird little things that made you want to go on an adventure. Like every bit of flavor text that you would find was not flavor text. It was adventure ideas that the, the GM could just take from, like, from the get-go. The way that they sort of tweaked some of the consequences to incorporate taking damage, yeah. uh, actually getting, getting injured and having sort of a little bit more D&D-esque or, or I guess old school D&D-esque experience but the vibe of the game was very, it was an older fantasy style, more Conan than mm -hmm. like more modern fantasy, right? But the, the experience of going through the life paths and building out this character that started out in a, he was a mushroom person from underground who started out in a mushroom cult that worshipped the Great Mycelium Network and eventually became a bard that sort of traveled the land, extolling the virtues of mushrooms. That was sort of his whole shtick. <laughs> but we we ended up having some really meaningful moments with this character. Like we, one of the characters, because we played for several sessions and one of the characters died at some point because it mm -hmm. turned out that the game is actually quite deadly if Ooh. you want to be in front. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah. 
the bard did not get in front and stayed in the back. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a wonderfully simple system to pick up and grok. There were very few that like the dice pools were really small. So you might have like one die, two dice in an ability. Two dice in an ability is like really good because you're also getting dice from other things like equipment or something else. I don't want to say too much because the game's still in development mm-hmm. and I don't know how much Josh would want me to talk about things that might not still be in the game because I've it for <laughs> By the time we buy it, none yeah. of that's in it's there. Not yeah, none of that'll be in there. Mechanic. What the fuck? Where is right? it? <laughs> <laughs> I want to be a mushroom. Uh, but yeah, just everything I found, every time I would read a little bit of flavor text or a little, like, the text around an ability, it would talk about things that you needed to know what they were, but mm. it was up to the table to decide what they were. So you were kind of building out this mythology of the world as you're explaining what these little bits of flavor mean. It was a wonderful experience. It was a great, great game. That's awesome. I think one of the most brilliant things about Blades in the Dark is that notion of the evocative language that really makes you lean in Mm -hmm. and almost have to put down because now you're just imagining what's going on. Mm I've heard mm-hmm. it called gameable lore. Hmm. And that is kind yeah. of the decision that the table makes as to what this is and how it's going to work in our world. Mm-hmm. And it may be totally different at another table. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. There was a ton of that in all throughout the text. It was, it was a wonderful experience to play. That's cool. Do you but, know yeah. uh, how far along is it in development? It's just at the beginning or... I I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, to be fair, so, as a game designer, he might not know either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say keep an eye Play on find Strash's <laughs> socials. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, someone who is like, oh yeah, it'll totally. Like, I think it'll be done by in the next six months. Two years later, I think it'll be done in the next six months. Two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I've been there. <laughs> I guess it's my turn. Keep uh, his turn. My turn. So it didn't come out this year, but it's new to me. It was new to me this year. It's called Told by Starlight. I talked about this a couple times. I played this at a con. Ray actually did, ran this game for me too at Strategicon. And it's it's this interesting, quirky little game. And I loved it because it made me think about game design in a different way. And basically Told by Starlight is... You, you're in like a community. It's kind of a, a narrative game. And you all start off with just this big piece of paper and you all just draw dots all over it, like randomly. And then through playing the game, you create constellations and then lore around those constellations, which is my jam anyway, because I love stuff like that. And, but the interesting thing about the mechanics is one, like creating just this random assortment of dots and making this mythology around it. But also there's a lot of, interesting things where you hand the creation over to the next person because you like pass the the question along. So if you start something, you don't necessarily get to create the whole Mm. thing of it. Mm. So you get to start drawing something and then you pass it on to, and they get to create the story about what you drew or whatever it is, which is hard for me because I don't know if anybody knows, but I'm a control freak and shocking. I know everybody is like, what? And as a game designer myself, like I like creating lore and like, okay, this is going to be the thing. So it was a really interesting exercise to have random things that you would have because it was like a, you draw a card and that would like decide what type of prompt you got and then like passing it to the next person 
So it really made it a more collaborative effort. And I think things went in a very different way than they would have if I just got to be like, oh, I'm drawing this and it's going to be this or this. And then it layered in this really interesting way that I wasn't prepared for. Like, because you start running out of space on the paper, right? And so then you start getting these cards and you're like, okay, I'm going to have to connect this constellation with that constellation. What is this going to represent? And that part was fascinating too. We started having this, what ended up as like first kind of like creating, and it may play out differently for other people because it doesn't specify what it has to be. Right. Like it kind of started off with like creating kind of a pantheon and like some old stories and stuff. And then it's like, oh, well, there's only this little spot. So I'm going to draw this line. This represents the river between like the mother and the child that she lost or that's on the other side of the page. It turns out this constellation, like the, the, the strong hunter is actually her child or whatever. I don't even remember what it was, but it's like you start then making all these connections mm. that are really interesting. And sometimes they're a little weird, and, but it, it's something that none of us would have come up with by ourselves. And it was really interesting playing at a table with almost all strangers too, which I hadn't really done before. I don't, I don't play with strangers very often because I have like 40 people who play at Happy Jacks. So, and I forget that they don't all know each other, but they all know me. So like sometimes when I go to cons and I suddenly sit down at a table, I look around, I'm like, I don't know anybody at this table. This is weird. Um, How novel. Super <laughs> novel, right? So that was interesting. And it's it as a game designer, it had elements that I loved and appreciated and then also like had to make note of because it's like this is a thing games can do and i love games that kind of push that envelope of what is possible in games and what you can do like all of you can sit around and draw on a thing and make this wild lore up and have it be a really cool satisfying experience and it it, it was just interesting like that i have a comment about this game I was running a game next to the table you were playing in. <laughs> yeah. And you guys were having an annoying level of fun. We were so loud. <laughs> we were so loud. I was like, why am I running this game? I should be over there playing that game. <laughs> that, that is the worst feeling running a con game. And then somebody, another table is having more fun next to you. It's You're like, oh man, I gotta, either I got to step it up or we got to stop and let them finish. The stuff they were saying was just so weird. And like, they were like, just talking about the craziest stuff and stars. And I was just like, wait, what? Yeah, it was, it was wild. And then we ended up like adding a piece of page to it because we wanted more space. And then, so that ended up being like the wall and then like the new gods were trying to chase mm-hmm. away the old God. It was just like really interesting stuff. It was also really interesting to watch how people made constellations and how different they all were. Right. Like people like would draw things. Different levels like, of drawing skill. Well, yeah, but like what they would see in the dots, um, I mean, like how like mm. different brains interpreted like different connections of shapes. That was really, I mean, as a teacher, that was really interesting for me because there were things where I like very clearly would be like, oh yeah, I see. And then some people would say, oh, this is the so-and-so. And you're like, what? How? What? Okay. Okay. I'm just going to go with it. And then they kind of draw it a little bit. And it was just really fascinating to see how people interpreted those things together and then tying other things together. It's just, it was a, a fascinating study. And I keep saying the word fascinating. I'm sorry. If you're tired of hearing that, I'm sorry. It was an interesting, uh, mind bending <laughs> journey into like, just like 
people's interpretation of right. shapes and how they come up with stories. Yeah, I don't know. It was, it was very interesting. It's a sh- super like GMless, like rules light game that's very easy to play. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm really enjoying. It was interesting because my my experience this year is I dove into One Ring, which is a bit more crunchy than I normally would be like interested in doing. And then on the other side, like I also like made a point to play as many weird rules like games as possible. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just been this great kind of like bouncing back and forth between between systems like that. Yeah. Filling up your toolbox. Yeah. And sorry, that one's mm-hmm. by uh, Ryan Kahn. I know I talked about it because he was one of our indie designers of the month yeah. in a previous month, which is when I, one of the reasons because I played this game, I was like, I want you to be an indie designer of the month because you're awesome and I love this game. But that's just, I don't know, it just has kind of stuck with me. I don't know why. It's like one of those things where I'm starting to think about other games and that, I'm sorry, the shelf, which I know was just symbolism. It wasn't like actually a shelf. I have a Google Drive, but like it's one of those things when I start designing a game, I kind of like that, that one just pops into my brain a little bit. And like what pieces, what things did I learn from this to make it new? So yeah, I don't know. Thanks. That was my game. That I played this year. I might have to come up with another answer next week since I'm going to be here next week too. But we'll see. <laughs> I won't be here next week, so you can talk about One Ring. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's cheating. Keep but. it simple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shall we read some letters? Yeah, we should. We're at an hour and 12 minutes, so we should probably read emails. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we... Okay. Mailbag number one. Hello, Jackers. I have a delicate request for help. Here's the situation. I like running games set in a historical Earth-like world, meaning it is the Earth we know, plus magic and monsters. I'm also a stickler for as much history accuracy as I am knowledgeable about and able to play. I've been running a a Weird War II game, Nazi werewolves, Cthulhu elements, etc. And there are a lot of bad people who do a lot of bad things to a few different groups of people. As I run it, I'm being delicate and sticking to lines and veils and X cards. However, I'll be honest, I'm pretty much the only one who's concerned. The players and the good guys, or friends, but not terribly mature. Pl- or, yeah, yeah. I, think, I think they are good guys. I think the guys. players are good guys and or friends. Not terribly mature or politically correct. They're not rapists or anything. But racist. They're not racist or anything. <laughs> racist? Hopefully both. Hopefully both. 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 Just not cutting-edge disabilities. Yeah. So no real issues. Here's the problem. In my other group, we're about to start a new campaign playing Rippers, Savage Worlds, Victorian classic monster hunters. Thank you, Jackman's Van Helsing. And so there's a whole Victorian society thing, women in society, class structure, slavery, colonialism, scary medicine, etc. And I realized that the setting, the setting says the Rippers group makes no issues with race or gender, but the rest of society does. So how can I make this comfortable for everybody? but not throw history right out the window. I mean, I don't want a historical earth. If I didn't want a a historical earth, I'd set it somewhere else. Also, I will state some pride with some pride that the other group was very impressed by how much they inadvertently learned about World War II from my game. Yes. Nah, but not so fast. Mm -mm -mm. There's more. One of the players from the second group had to go to another city, so he graciously provided us with two replacements. What? A player that uh, can't the, play anymore the, that automatically fills the seat? <laughs> How wild! Amazing! These two uh, can cover my shift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. 
the manager's dream. One of them. One of them is an actual young woman. I realize that the Happy Jack's crew is not the traditional RPG sausage party that I grew up with playing in the 80s, but I've little experience playing with a mixed group. I also realize that we're all human beings and I shouldn't have to treat anyone differently as long as I'm being respectful. But I have met her at the point of writing once. By the time you read this, after my son runs a two or three session D&D 5e game palate cleanser, I will probably have one or two GMing sessions under my belt. So I have no idea how she'll react to things presented in the game setting, a world where men's and women's roles, as well as class and colonial systems in society, are significantly different. As I said, I'm making a point of pushing the safety tools, so I hope it all goes well. Any suggestions you have would be greatly appreciated, other than completely change the history of the world. Thanks, and don't ever stop jacking. Ken from Canada. I'm passing on the PS. I don't like to be pushed into societal expectations. <laughs> Which is hilarious to me, because this is a game about pushing your players into societal expectations. This yep, is the whole yep, 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 yep. <laughs> that might be the joke. That might, that might yeah. be intentional. <laughs> yeah, got me. Good job. Good. <laughs> I have a lot to say about Victorian England, so yeah, maybe I'll go last. No, I mean we no, we need to have a conversation about it. It shouldn't be like we each take turns talking. Right. So, the World War II thing is weird and interesting, and I think you guys are so far down the road. Enjoy yourselves, <laughs> like yeah. lungs, everybody's having fun. I, I don't think lines and veils are to police people at tables. I think they're to make sure everybody's comfortable and safety words are a thing for a reason. Yeah. As far as the Victorian England thing, I'm currently working on a project about Victorian England. And one of the things that came up was how many black people are actually in Victorian England. Yeah. I think by Victorian England and Van Helsing, he means the 1700s or the 1800s. But in 1600, Queen Victoria puts out a word that we got to get rid of all the black people in England because apparently there are too many black people in England. And 30 years later, King James does the same thing because apparently there are too many black people in England. I I think you might have some names mixed up. 1600 is Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth, yeah. So Queen Elizabeth I, who died in 1603, and then yes. it was passed on by her nephew, King, her, King, James. King James. Yeah, right. He wrote, but he Queen wrote Victoria, who in the Victorian times, was actually an abolitionist. And she was very much against, like, it. by then, England itself, like, the proper, had gotten rid of slavery. And the but, slave trade. Yeah, and the slave trade. But it was still existent in a lot of the, the, the Commonwealth right. and the colonies. And the United States of America, but, depending on which part of her reign. But know. as early as I want to say 1750, yeah, lots of black people in England That's... are writing books saying, hey, the slavery thing is lame. Yeah, They're producing operas and uh, orchestral arrangements. Yeah, That is to say, they're very literate. <laughs> they got a little money. Absolutely. Um, and there's a cat named, uh, there's a cat who writes a book and becomes very wealthy. Mm-hmm talking about how he escaped slavery in the islands. Yeah. So, he became very famous, too. Hmm? I, forget, I forget his name, but he Equiano. became, very, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he became very famous and uh, met Queen Victoria mm-hmm. and was like part of her. And actually, Prince Albert, her husband, was the one who was like really an abolitionist, like 
this is completely wrong and kind of got her thinking on that path. And they did a lot and to, to help him get his message out there. So I think uh, it's funny. We had this whole conversation about like what critics were talking about around uh, what's the name of the hunky British bodice ripper on Netflix. Bridgerton? Yes. Oh, okay. We had a whole conversation about Bridgerton. <laughs> And how um, it was like Julie Andrews reads the thing at the beginning and end of every oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and how all of these media critics were like, it's totally ahistorical that black people existed <laughs> in England, yeah. but it's a good show. And yeah. it, it was just interesting reading about all the people at different levels of class yeah. and caste and and that's just the black people. Don't get me started on the Indians and the Chinese and like mm-hmm. kind of London in particular is quite, uh, what's the word? Cosmopolitan. Yeah. For mm-hmm. probably the last six, five, 600 years. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to like be too weird about it. Well, I, I think that's going to be the thing. Like you don't know this woman very well. You've met her one time as of this writing. And it concerns me that she is the only in your group. That, like, it can sometimes be interesting or empowering to play in that power dynamic. I played games where it was, like, historical and it was, like, kind of fun to be, like, the the woman bucking traditions and, like, oh, I'm super powerful, so I'm able to, like, go against society. But that was a very safe table where I knew a lot of people. And it has been significantly less fun, and we've had whole episodes and core stories on this podcast dedicated to being the only of mm-hmm. a certain marginalized group at the table and having that feeling of, well, that sucks. Everybody else gets to have a good time and I don't. I have to go somewhere else or sleep somewhere else or right. be treated somewhere else or I can't go in that store or everyone is listened to except me, even though I'm the one with stats and, or, and skills that know the most about this it can really be awful and it can really make it not fun. I know you said complete change the history of the world is not what the advice you wanted, but I would have a serious heart to talk, heart to heart talk with this woman beforehand and being like, this is the setting we're playing in. Mm-hmm. And even, because especially if she's new to role-playing, I don't know if she is or not. It might not be something that is even occurred to her. And so mm-hmm. her sitting down and like filling out lines and bales and stuff ahead of time, it may not even occur to her that that might be something she faces when she sits down at the table. Right. Mm-hmm. And like we were having, the, I had to have this conversation. Um, Adam is just starting a mage game that's set at the end of World War II. Mm-hmm. So he and I had a, a conversation because um, he has people of color at his table. And I was like, hey, like, and he, of course, like <laughs> comes from, indigenous uh, family background and so he was already on it but i was like just make sure like if you're playing historical like there was still segregation at this time there's still all these things at this time and his choice was okay we're playing in the world of mage and so we're almost not going to deal at all with the outside world like this is Mm -hmm. going to be mage society which has a totally different structure than like human society so i would highly encourage you to go that route maybe I don't know. I don't like, I don't know how weird world you want to get. If you really want to have like a true to world experience or, or true to world setting, maybe there's something that is a loophole. So she's not the only person at the mm-hmm. table who's treated badly. 
Like maybe she's got a talisman that makes everyone like see, like respect her and like forget for a moment and like, or that she like forgets societal structures or something when it comes to her or something like that. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise it's, I'm afraid she's not going to have a lot of fun unless she just really enjoys that. Some people really enjoy playing in that, but it tends to be much less fun if you're the only one who has to deal with those roles. (laughs) I think another interesting thing is, is she playing a woman character? Mm -hmm. And is she the only one playing a woman character? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because that could make a difference dramatically. I'm always, uh, I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot. No, that's great. I mean, please continue. Yeah, I feel like as a person of color, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm always interested when I watch Hayao Miyazaki films, mm-hmm. several of which are set in Victorian England. And like, these these are batshit crazy Victorian England. <laughs> you know, he has a whole World War II fighter pilot film where the protagonist has a pig head. And like, everybody knows him. And he, like, a lot of people don't like him because he's a butthead. And like, it is what it is. And yeah, I find that there are lots of ways to get around it. And there are several films, I'm thinking of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, that does mm-hmm. an interesting job of, like, as you were saying, making the story more about class than about necessarily social hierarchies. Yeah. They are all powerful individuals and the vampire lady never Mina, yeah. gets kind of held up at the train station for not wearing a long enough petticoat. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Kurt, you were going to say something, I think. Yeah. So I think there's two ways to come at this. And, and obviously this is with the caveat that you've already spoken to this woman and agreed that we want to explore these themes at the table, or maybe this isn't the game for you. But assuming you want to explore the themes of the stat, like the, oppression in the status quo at the time there were detractors at the time there were people in that time that thought it was wrong then yep why don't we feature those people yep Mm -hmm. right there were people in that time that ignored and just flat out refused to obey the social norms i mean there are great stories about victorian women who are like screw it i'm gonna be a pirate i'm gonna duel a bunch of dudes and marry their wives Mm -hmm. like that's historically accurate. So I don't I don't know why that story doesn't get brought up when we talk about this. Mm-hmm. So talk to her and ask if she's comfortable playing in a, a status quo of oppression. What side of that oppression do you want to explore? Mm-hmm. Do you want to fight that oppression? Do you want to see what it feels like, see what it feels like for the character to experience that oppression? I mean, I think those are the only two places you can go with it. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not guessing anything about this, but if the only reason to be historically accurate is to oppress the characters and push upon them, oh, it was so such a bad time. I mean, that's not for everybody. Yeah, or for the sake of <laughs> it's accuracy, not be it's for everybody. Yeah, like, yeah. Like for the sake of accuracy itself. Like I want to run this game and I want it to be accurate because it's accurate, and it's like mm-hmm. that's great. Like it seems like like people learned a lot about World War II from your game. That's wonderful. But it's not going to be wonderful. Like, like she has to live in a world where she's already marginalized because she's a woman. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not to the extent it was in Victorian times by any means in at least most places, at least mm-hmm. the places that most role-playing people are going to be. But it's still something like she has to live with. So 
while it might be fun for the other people at your table to explore the, the strange, different society of that time period, that element's not going to be different for her. That's going to be like what she has to deal with every single day at her day job, what she has to deal with when she's walking around or on the subway or in the street. Like, that's not fun. And it's not mm-hmm. fun to come to a game where you want to be powerful and escape and be forced to deal with pretend misogyny that you have to deal with <laughs> in the real world all the time. So keep that in mind, Ken, because everything else about your world will be pretend, except that will just be a different flavor of echo of what she lives. And that's not fun. And that's, it, I mean, it could, maybe it is. I wanted to circle back because like Mo, you were saying, is she the only person playing a woman at the table? Mm-hmm. That can also be a big difference, but not always in a good way. Right. Like sometimes it can be really hard to be someone who's like marginalized and watch someone else play someone who's being marginalized and like kind of LARPing at your lived experience. Mm. And it's like, like it's interesting for them to put themselves in that role because then they get to leave it. Mm -hmm. But then you're like, cool. And then now I'm going to go home and I'm going to like walk to my car and I'm going to have to keep my keys between my fingers while I walk to my car because like, it's not safe. And like, there's just all these, these elements of it that are going to be really tricky. So honestly, like I still circle back to, especially because you don't know this person well. And honestly, they're joining the game. They're going to want to be a team player. Like I'm not 100% sure that they're not going to like just, just yeah, be, be quiet and sad. Yeah. yeah. and Or just be like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. Because right. also women are programmed by society to do that anyway. <laughs> For most of us, like I still have to fight it. But so yeah, there's just like so many problems that could make it just a horror story experience for her and not or on the other spectrum is not fun like maybe it's not Mm -hmm. a horror story but it's just not fun for her so i would just ask you to like really like there's not a one answer i don't think to that but really think about it and whether if it is that important to you to keep it historically accurate it might be just like hey this might not be the game for you like obviously help have her Part of that choice, but I don't know. It, it seems like you might be choosing your setting over a player. I kind of see there's a very easy kind of answer in like just make her character rich as hell because <laughs> then people are like they're yeah. just eccentric and uh, okay, we'll just whatever. She walks into a place that's historically like a gentleman's club, like she shouldn't be allowed in there. Whatever, she bought the building. Mm-hmm. Okay, now it's hers. Fuck off. Shut up. That, <laughs> right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> a, you could do that because then that kind of mm-hmm. turns that mechanic on its ear. Yeah. Right? But like, I totally agree with everything that's mm-hmm. been said here. The thing that pops into my head as like a good example of dealing with historic accuracy in a way that still is interesting and palatable now, one of my favorite shows of the last few years for all mankind on mm-hmm. Apple. Mm-hmm. It starts at the basically the beginning of the big space race, right? Mm-hmm. And historically, in that time period, things were bad for lots of people. Mm-hmm. But the show kind of tackles these issues in the story from sort of a modern perspective, right? Like, right. there are always people that have been more interested in 
justice, mm-hmm. right? In in mm-hmm. liberty for everyone and pushing things that direction. And so the characters in the show deal with these problems, but from the perspective that we're all like, oh yeah, these characters that we like, they're on the right side of things. Mm-hmm. Right. There might be mm-hmm. other characters out there that are like, we can't have gay people in space. Wait, 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 wait. We slow, can't have... slow down, not all at once. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, we can't have women in the space program. Yeah. We can't have people of color in the space program. Mm-hmm. We can't, oh my God, what are you doing hiring these people? Mm-hmm. Like, but then there's a character that's standing up and saying, no, we're doing this. This is important. Yeah. And, and having it, the party behind that mm-hmm. can be an interesting yeah. take on that. So that's Absolutely. something that everybody's mm-hmm. fighting for. Like, yeah, 100%. If you have anyone in your party who's also perpetuating the oppression, that's bullshit. And do not allow that. Like, I don't care mm-hmm. if it's normal. That's going to make it fucking terrible. And don't let anybody do that. Like, everybody in your party at least has to be a feminist. Their characters. <laughs> like, I don't care. Like, none of that. Like, yeah, yeah that's bullshit if like other people in her group are oh uh, you shouldn't be doing that honey let me do it's like that's not fun do not that's not fun to ever play that ever don't let that happen but i love the idea if if it's gonna be in society that we're all fighting against it as a collective yeah so like the characters that are part of dealing with like Mm -hmm. okay yeah this bad stuff's out there we know that it exists in the world now we're going to make choices that advance these causes right. yeah. to make things better for everybody, right? Yeah. Like, that's mm-hmm. an interesting story and a mm-hmm. fun story and an empowering story. Mm-hmm. It's great. From a GM perspective, you can still play an asshole, right? Like, the party the GM, can deal the GM with can. you. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. yeah. Like, they can deal with, like... That's so hard. I mean, it is. It Like, the example yeah. that comes to mind is in my Burning Bright game, I play this really jerk-ass uh, club owner that has absolutely infuriated Joey. Like, IRL. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, he just seethes with anger at this club owner. And every time I have to be... There have been lots of NPCs that I've had to play that are kind of ooky. Yeah. Like, they're not the people that I want to be, but, like, it's important to tell this story. Mm-hmm. And again, I try and frame it in that angle of this is a bad person. Yeah. Right. Because it's, uh, and it's, the party is working against this. Yeah. Because it's Blade Runner. So it's like replicants, and some people are prejudiced against mm-hmm. replicants and stuff like that. For yeah. people who might not know it, Burning Bright is just yeah. fair enough. Kurt. If you don't, go watch it. Go watch it. It's really good. Following up on what Kurt said, a, wa- a rabbit hole you may not want to go down is Mary Wollstonecraft, who is considered the the proto-feminist of the Western world. There's lots of feminist writings going all the way back to the Hebrews and the Egyptians, but of the modern age, Mary Wollstonecraft is one of those people who was absolutely an exception in the 1750s, who was like writing and saying, you know, women need to be educated and they should not get married because marriage is like pretty much too close to being property. And uh, Abigail Adams is actually a big fan of Mary Wollstonecraft and notoriously tells her husband, John, don't forget the women mm-hmm. when he goes to write the Constitution and forget the women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, and, in the 1700s, I mean, it, it, it wasn't worded as being property, but you were pretty much property. 
And I just, along with the lines of what Kadev was saying, yeah, be, just be careful. I know there's this notion, I take it from what you said in the World War II game, you like people learning about the period. Just be careful that you're not actually trying to get to modern day mm-hmm. as we have it today. Because, yeah, you're going to have to really undo everything the characters are doing that is obviously going to break history because they weren't there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like you brought up Bridgerton earlier and like, it's kind of a, you're right, bodice rippy show. There's a lot of, like, <laughs> it's not historically accurate in a lot of ways, but it's a good example of, it is a period show. Mm-hmm. like. And a lot of the things about the stories are very period, like the way you'd have to do marriages and the way you have to do like going to parties to be introduced to someone, to make an arranged right. marriage. So a lot of those facts and the the struggles of different people to wed or be married by a certain time, how you'd, you'd meet people in mm-hmm. an acceptable way if you were in a high society in the Regency era and stuff like that is all, that all stuff is pretty accurate. Like, no, they didn't go like fuck in the garden like they do in the show because, oh my God, if you did that, then you, wow. I mean, they probably did, but. A hundred percent. hundred percent. They didn't even have television. Yeah, I know. There's no Netflix (laughs) in the chill. It's just all chill. They probably wouldn't do it with like (laughs) the the queen and their mom, like less than like a hundred yards away. That, that probably would happen less, but like the ideas that like people are, I was saying are upset about race, but that doesn't change the stories at all. You can still tell incredibly right. compelling stories with people at different socioeconomic levels of class mm-hmm. struggling with that, that have nothing to do with race that are still incredibly compelling and period appropriate. Mm-hmm. So you can teach a ton about the period with, and not worry about the racial elements or, and things like that. And same thing with like the misogyny. You can have these people struggling against vampires and werewolves and all this other weird ass shit while they're trying to not be noticed, you know, and Mm -hmm. in a society where it's hard, you have to get from one place to the other. You can't just get in a car. How do you get get on a horse or whatever it is? Um, Yeah, there's plenty of challenges (laughs) provided by the era without focusing on the misogyny and the racism that is going to make players at your table feel really uncomfortable. And you can mm-hmm. have them run into Queen Victoria or Prince Albert in a realistic way or whatever. Like you can teach them tons about that mm-hmm. period without like focusing on that, which they all know is there. Like that's not a thing that they need to experience or plan to learn a ton about the era. Yeah. There's an interesting story, movie called Bell that's based on a true story mm-hmm. about a woman whose uncle sends for her to come from the islands and uh, she's a black woman in British high society, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Sounds interesting. Yeah. I absolutely a thing. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Rippers specifically is League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Like you yeah. are right. people with exceptional abilities or some sort of weird otherness that allows you to go on and fight these monsters and deal with the weird problems that exist you're probably not going to be the meek housemaid. I just don't, you know what I mean? Like these characters are heroic characters generally in, mm-hmm. in that side of type of story. So yeah, absolutely. give them opportunities to overcome that oppression and don't 
don't push those themes on the player, push them on the character. Yeah, yeah. Mina in that time period from League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, like if I was a vampire nowadays, like that would be the first thing I'd do with my charm ability is like get rid of the misogyny with everyone who walked by me. Just like, look at me. Women are fucking amazing and you just mm-hmm. like love everything we say. All right, now we can have our conversation. Right, Go. right. <laughs> like, boom. Like, yeah. Uh, another example, even closer to this time period you're talking about, the Gilded Age on HBO. Well, yeah. Max, yeah. Right? Like, yeah. it's totally about a period where there's still all kinds of terrible problems for all kinds of groups and arranged marriage and all of that is still going on. But like, they have characters that are struggling with these problems. Mm-hmm. And they're portrayed from the perspective of, oh, yeah, that's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Like, let's go. Right. Like, that's a story mm-hmm. that's okay to tell. Yeah. Right? Like, bad things can exist in the world without the characters having to perpetuate them. Yes. Correct. Like, they dwell in them. Yeah. And, and it, give the characters a chance to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not be stereotypes. That's the other thing I really love about yeah. the Gilded Age is, like, it's so much media tells us like, oh, these helpless women in this age or, <laughs> oh, these poor black person who used to be a slave. It's mm-hmm. like, no, they have characters like the now emancipated slave owns a newspaper right. and is running a newspaper right. and he has a staff of amazing educated people who are working to make the schools in New York City better for the black children there. And yeah. they're working to make them with they're bringing in white children too, so that they'll get money from the city. Cause right now, so there's all these historical, amazing things that are accurate to the time period. And a lot of the characters mm-hmm. they pull in, in those stories are historical characters in a way that's like changing it. Like it would be super easy to, to flip that story and be like, Oh, these impoverished children going to these, but instead they tell it from an, the empowered side. Mm-hmm. So these people mm-hmm. who are, like making the change, who are also, there's always that side of the story. So have that. And these women are like running society is like, yes, all their husbands are like the big Rockefeller type characters, but they're the ones who are arranging the marriages and introducing everyone to everyone and kind of controlling the social aspect. And that's the the attitude mm-hmm. of that show, which I am so excited because as soon as we're done recording tonight, I get to go watch the new episode that hosts on Sunday that. nights. <laughs> That's my after podcast. Your after show show. Yeah, my after show show. I'm behind a couple episodes. Yeah, no, it's I love it. Super trashy costume drama. And sometimes they have zippers and it makes me angry. (laughs) (laughs) Once in a while. Like I like literally I was watching the other day and I stopped. I was like, oh Sam was like, another zipper. I was like, yes. They think they tried to hide it, but it's right down the back. That's ridiculous. See, I I think Ken is worried about the zippers. (laughs) Like he I think there's probably something in this period that he's like. But this is real. <laughs> Do not, if you have zippers, I'm going to be really angry. Don't mess with that. Mm-hmm. Sorry. This is a historically accurate game. Yeah. You button your buttons. Yeah. It's the height of technology. <laughs> and pull up your hoses. Lacing. Yes. Uh, but that is important. I mean, if you're a, a freaking HBO, like you can afford to not have a zipper in your cl- in your dress. But you can't afford to have a Starbucks cup in Game of Thrones. So God, they're they're laying out cash already. There's got to be a limit, that's right? True. That's true. Okay. Just to get the locations. <laughs> yeah, they're paying. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I think we made our point. <laughs> but update us, Ken. I'm interested to see what happens. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Next one. This is gonna be an 
episode for the books, man. Back to the old dating. Long episodes. I thought it not. I'm sorry. It's fine. All right. Mailback number two. I'm glad I only decided to go with two emails for this one since we did the sharing. But that was fun. Reading. Should I read this one so we can confuse the listeners? Oh, yeah. Do it. Okay. <laughs> Greetings, fellow jackers, jackets, and jackoffs. Rather than appearing on the show myself, I've decided to write in. Contrary to prevailing opinion about me, I'll keep this short so you can spend the time answering my question rather than reading my dribble. How do you shut off GM brain? For those who GM a lot, how do you sit as a player and ignore that part of your brain that is telling you how you would approach each scenario from a GM perspective? Seriously, I need to know. I need advice on this. Kurt, Clan Hannah on the interwebs and occasionally on Discord. P.S. Imbibe. Thanks, Kurt. Thanks for reading Kurt's Thanks, Kurt. email, Kurt. Yeah. <laughs> you did a great job being a Kurt, Kurt. Hey, it's my whole shtick. <laughs> All right. So how do you turn off GM brain? Uh, design games. <laughs> design. <laughs> I hope we come to an answer because I was struggling with it literally today. Yeah. My wife and I, we I've been playing a lot of D&D. And so I've been running a D&D game and periodically my wife will run sort of a a off session for all the characters to go and like explore their backstories that's not part of the kind of main plot that's going on like a downtime and yeah like downtime exactly we were like <laughs> dnd needs downtime we're gonna put it in so i was i'm sitting there i'm playing my character and about halfway through the session we're gonna transition back to me gming and she's handing out magic items to all the players and like no 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 they don't get that one because <laughs> it's about to come back to me so yeah, the whole time I'm like having the the hardest time trying not to GM from my, the player seat. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> my go-to usually when I find myself trying to like guess what the GM did, like as the GM is like, I'll try and throw the spotlight to another player. It's like my first go-to is like, well, what do you think we should do? So-and-so. And then... I take the pressure off of me and put it on them. And then they have to solve the problem and I don't have to do it anymore. That's a pretty good solution. I tend, <laughs> I tend to do that a lot if I'm playing a character that's not that smart. Oh, yeah. Because I'll sit there and I'll see what's kind of laid out in front of me and I'll be like, I think this is where it's heading. And I'll be like, uh, I don't know what to do. Someone else help me. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think I ever turn off my GM brain. Yeah. Like, it's kind of the same way I look at all kinds of stuff. Like, if life was a TV show or a movie or you're just kind of watching stuff happen around you and weird shit happens sometimes. And you'll just be like, I'm going to tuck that one away. Right. Right. At some point yeah. I'm going to be playing a game and you're going to want somebody to get off a bus. That's just screaming about black holes. A hundred percent legitimate thing that happened when I was coming out of Walgreens pharmacy, I'm stepping out and person gets off the bus, just going, Black holes, man! Black holes! And I was like, oh yeah, that's a good one. Like, that's coming back. Yeah. I think this is when you're a player and not a GM. And yeah, it's a hard one because the first instinct is to go deeper into character. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But this is all going on in your head because either you're not getting spotlight or you're getting a little judgy 
Maybe you have opinions. I don't know if you guys notice. Sometimes I have opinions. What? <laughs> <laughs> On this podcast? What? You have opinions? Um, <laughs> I, I, I have a list of things not to do. Mm-hmm. Try not to get on my phone. Don't tell people what to do. Yeah, I think like that's... don't try to like meta for other people. Mm-hmm. And just my work these days has been gratitude. Mm-hmm. Try to enjoy the communal space you're having with friends or people who can be friends. Yeah, I think what you're saying about not telling people what to do is is important. Super like, critical. Yeah, as a GM, like mm-hmm. it's super. Like that metagame level, but also that like want to like you're so used to like hurting everybody mm-hmm. as a GM, like trying mm-hmm. to get everybody to go on the same thing. As a player, you need to like, well, yes, that's part of a player's job is to like collaborate. Like you're not supposed to hurt everybody as a, as a player. So uh, not being like, well, maybe you should do this and maybe you should do this and maybe you should do like even if you're in character, that's like my in character voice. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's that's super key. I didn't didn't think about that part. Yeah. But sometimes Mm -hmm. it's just not your time for spotlight. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it might be going on a little long. Mm -hmm. And that's the way the dice roll sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And that can be hard, especially as a a GM, because like you think you know what's happening and you're like, they see it or maybe they do see it. But yeah, it's it's super frustrating. I think I don't know if it's ever something you can completely turn off. I kind of agree, but you have to know how not to voice it. Yeah. I, th- I feel like inside it's like, voice. Yeah. Inside voice. Inside voice. Keep inside your voice. damn mouth <laughs> shut. Yeah. It's like, I think it's like me when I'm teaching or like when I'm with my kid and it's like, I'm thinking in my head, what the actual fuck? But I'm not going to say that. <laughs> like code switching. Yeah. Super there important. There you go. There you go. Yeah. 100%. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like, like you can't stop GM braid. You have to code switch to player language i think that's that's mm-hmm. the best way of, of doing it i don't think there's another way yeah yeah <laughs> sorry kurt. So, sorry sorry kurt and kurt <laughs> <laughs> so, no answers for kurt's okay so if i would could go back to today and redo my day i think the issues that i ran into were like you mentioned trying to envision how i would have approached a scenario some of that is just your side seat gming right just allow yourself to be surprised. It's kind of like watching a, a mystery movie yep. and just trying not to figure it out so you can be surprised at the end. Yep. Yeah. So like focusing on enjoying the story that's being presented to you, the, the stimulus that's being presented to you instead of trying to shape it. This is also more of an issue in games that have a really well-defined GM player delineation. Yeah. Uh, trad games yeah. specifically are going to be really tough with this. But just... If you think a scene might have gone, could have gone differently, try to put that into how your character could modify. Like, what can your character accomplish to make the scene do that? So, mm-hmm. and what, like, if it was their idea, I wish this had gone that way. What, what, do, what levers do they have to pull from your character's perspective to try and get the world to be the way they want it to be? Mm-hmm. And just have a bossy character, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe. <laughs> yeah you you get on that log flume and you sit there and you might be the world log flume expert right you've been on so many you have designed them but at the same time you're gonna get in this thing and you can't get out you're buckled in yep 
So just <laughs> see where it goes. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And don't say fuck in front of your students. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I can swear like a sailor here. Oh, man. I get home. The, whole yeah. the part that weirds me out is I'm better at it than my wife, who is very, very well educated on doing that stuff. Because she has I, to do it all day. Sure. But the, the veil grows very thin. Like, I cuss mm-hmm. in front of my kid more than my husband does. And he's like, you do this all day? I'm like, yes, I do it all day. All day. Like, <laughs> I yeah. need a break. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm exhausted of, like, keeping this, like, veneur of this, like, calm, patient adult. It's just like... Yeah. I don't want to be one. Yeah. My, my <laughs> yeah. daughter, like... Do you know how many times I didn't say fuck to a 12-year-old today? <laughs> so many times. <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm doing so great. So when that asshole cuts me off, I'm going to say fuck, even if my kid's in the car seat. Like, just going to... You know, <laughs> Teacher, not to say it. It's fine. Uh huh. Yeah. That, uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Are we spent? Did we Man? do it? We did, it. So. Yeah. we did it. All right. My only last note is it's always great to have a pencil and a piece of paper and just start writing. Oh, I thought you were going to be like, and mm-hmm. stab people. Uh, like- um, <laughs> Roll the paper up real tight, real just tight. jam it in the mouth. I haven't Bad stabbed anybody it. in an RPG session in many, many decades. Newspaper. If they're sitting next to you, not. Nope. Bad. Go the other way. Don't you see? It looks Obviously, like you're hitting me. It does. I know. I don't think. Please, please, I don't want. All right, we're getting punched. It's, it's reversed for me. It's so confusing. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for season thirty-three, episode three of the Happy Jacks RPG podcast. Please support our amazing indie designer of the month, Kurt Potts. Kurt, Kurt. virtually Kurt. beating. You can find his amazing games <laughs> at Kurt Potts. That's K U R T P O T T S. .itch.io, and at lighthearted.games. Thank you to our chat mod, James V, and to all our amazing Patreons who keep us ad-free and independent. You can join their amazing ranks at happyjacks.org Patreon and see all the cool rewards and stuff that they get for supporting us. My name is Kimmy. I'm Kurt. I'm Kadeem. And I'm Mo. <laughs> and today we're going to leave you with a song called The Gloucestershire Wassail. Do you have a thing? Just, just real quick. Okay. Uh, I saw some people in the chat asking about my shirt. It's from a company called Roosevelt's, but if you take out all of the vowels, like R S V L T S, like super punk. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's that's where I get almost all of my nerdy shirts. This is, in particular, the uh, Clint Eastwood Back to the Future Western shirt. Hmm. So, yeah, you can, you can. They have almost. Every nerdy movie or genre, <laughs> I've gotten shirts from They Live and Star Wars and just all kinds of shit in patterns and bright colors. And yeah, they're, they're great. They're great shirts. That's my endorsement. Awesome. <laughs> all right. So today we're going to leave you with a song called The Gloucestershire Was Sale by a group called The Merry Wives of Windsor. You can find them at mwow.net. So yeah, one more episode before Christmas. Fun for those of you who celebrate and like, yeah, I have so much work to do. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye.
toast, it is white, and our ale, it is brown. Our bowl, it is made of the white maple tree, with a wassailing bowl, we'll drink to thee. And is a product of the Happy Jacks RPG Network. The Mary Sue's performed our intro music, and our ending song is played with the express permission of the artist. Visit happyjacks.org for more information and to find all our streams and podcasts. Mm-hmm.